New year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit using your own money and on-time payments with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Who has four thumbs and is great at distractions? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Promise me you won't freak out. How can I promise you if I don't know what's going to happen? Well, I guess you'll just have to trust me. Why would I trust you? Because if you don't, you're going to die in this closet. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 91 of Recotopia. My name is Jeremy Scott. And I'm Dicer. And this week's big recommend is the animated film uh, Nimona from netflix mm-hmm. it's a netflix original uh we like to say a uh, shout out to the chat those of you who are watching along and talking along with us uh predicting my small recommends this week like people who know me and shit um <laughs> thank you for tuning in even on this weird day and time uh we appreciate you aaron do you have any small recommends this week it's no big deal <laughs> it's so small and light it's small it's tiny it's petite it's weak Indeed, indeed, indeed. A couple more awards wanters coming before my eyes. Uh, We'll start with uh, a uh, courtroom drama. A couple courtroom dramas we'll talk about uh, today. Uh, But uh, this one's called Anatomy of a Fall. And this is, at its essence, the story of a woman whose husband takes a fall from their home and is now in court for his murder and whether or not he uh, was murdered or not. Interesting. And that is the gist of what's going on here. Now, one of the interesting thing point, uh, things about this movie, among many interesting things, I love this movie, by the way, is that it's in the French court system. So all that procedure you're used to with your courtroom dramas where now it's the defense's turn to talk and now it's the, you know, uh, person on the stand's turn to talk. Now it's the judge's turn to talk. That all goes out the window. They have conversations and anybody can pipe in at any time uh, as part of these procedures. So that I found really fascinating, really interesting. It also really plays into the themes of the movie about how truth is understood, how narratives are decided, what you believe. I will say, I think this movie is best entered into 
without prepping yourself for, you know, the the big question of, you know, guilty or not guilty. I think the mindset that's going to happen naturally. Mm. Um, I think this is a movie that is much better experienced just as a story. And then as the court thing develops, uh, start to let your brain follow what you believe, what you don't believe. Coming out of it, you're going to have those conversations with the people you saw it with, uh, with other people who have seen the movie. Um, but uh, but it's such a beautiful film. Otherwise, it doesn't need that hook to really grasp you. Um, so really interesting stuff here. Um, another reminder that the human mind is malleable and that our perspective on things, it is very arrogant of us to say our perspective on things is the truth um, because that is so hard to define when it comes to especially relationships, um, domestic relationships specifically. Um, there are, there are moments out of all of our lives that could be taken out of context and people go, oh, you're a terrible person, I see. Uh, and this movie kind of deals with that uh, in a little bit. So, um, yeah, Anatomy of Fall is really, really good and, and highly recommended. You can find a lot of those moments um, for me in uh, high school. <laughs> yes. Uh uh, my first small recommend is uh, a 2023 film, uh, The Kane Mutiny Court Martial. This is the final uh, directing outing, I guess, for William Friedkin, mm -hmm. who also wrote the script. Um, this is much like the movie The Kane Mutiny uh, with Humphrey Bogart, based on uh, a stage play, based on a book. Um, so this is all the same source material. Whereas the Kane Mutiny film um, spends most of its time on the boat showing you events of the mutiny, the Kane Mutiny Court Martial uh, that just came out this year is all courtroom. It's only interested in the court martial proceedings after the fact. A lot of the same, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Kane Mutiny, but a lot of the same events uh, that happen in that story on the boat are referred to in this court-martial the cane mutiny itself does end with the court-martial but it's it's not the bulk of the movie uh the way this is this gives four or five actors some really good stuff to chew on with really long takes um jason clark is kind of our main character he's playing greenwald he's the defense attorney he's reluctant we have Kiefer sutherland playing queeg that's the captain of the cane who was basically mutinied against is the charge uh, Jake Lacey is playing Merrick, the guy who overthrew the captain. And then Monica Raymond, who I know from the TV show Hightown, um, is playing um, the defense attorney. I'm sorry, I said Greenwald was the defense. Uh, no, he's the defense attorney. She's playing the prosecutor. Sorry, it's convoluted because the trial is not about the captain. It's about the, the naval officer who overthrew the captain. Kiefer Sutherland almost steals this movie straight to hell. Um, I have never seen Kiefer like this. He is subdued and yet full of rage. He's doing a vocal delivery tick thing. And I really don't want to say too much about how this all plays out. I don't think much of it will be surprising, uh, especially if you've seen The Kane Mutiny, but a good courtroom drama it's not necessarily about figuring out what happened. Just like with A Few Good Men, you know what happened. Uh, it's about how do we get to the conclusion. Uh, and there is a, 
a scene at the end of this movie that I did not see coming that knocked me off my feet and made the movie a 10 for me. Um, great acting. Lance Reddick is in this, one of his last performances. He's uh, one of the military judges. Uh, Lewis Pullman is in this. Uh, and Jay Duplass is in this. Uh, just a really, really good cast. Solid acting. Uh, William Friedkin went out with a home run. Yeah, it's really, really good. I, I It's not often anymore <clears throat> that you will see a courtroom drama movie that is literally all in the courtroom. Right. Like, it's, you know, you're always getting flashbacks and, you know, uh, setups. And, you know, by about a half hour into this movie, your brain just goes, oh, I'm not getting that stuff. I'm just sitting here in the courtroom with these people and yeah. you just kind of lock into what the movie is. Now, I mean, there is a, there's a very brief prologue in the hallway and then there's a, you know, epilogue, uh, as well. Um, again, that's really good, but it's, it's for the, the vast majority and the entirety of the middle, just the, the process of this court. And not only that it's in chronological procession yes. like you're you're literally experiencing this this you know uh court case with all the like recesses you know edited out um yep. so it's to be able to do that and be as captivating and compelling as this movie manages to do is a combination of the captain uh captivating and compelling performances specifically jason clark Kiefer sutherland and lance reddick i think would be the 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 primary ones um that i would give credit to and uh yeah, it's really, really good. I'm so glad you liked it. And I should have said this earlier. This is on Showtime if you guys want to check mm -hmm. that out. And that means if you have a premium subscription at one of your other streamers, a very good chance Showtime is part of that package. So. Yes, and Paramount Plus has all the Showtime stuff now, too. So Excellent. Uh, so Aaron, you do you have a second small recommend? I do. Uh, this one is uh, just out on Netflix, I believe. It's called Nyad. Uh, Annette Benning and Jodie Foster uh, coming together to tell the story of a woman who was a, a distance swimmer. And in this case, this means open water swims. Her thing was, can you swim from, you know, the Bahamas to Florida or can you swim, you know, whatever. And her big, you know, Moby Dick white whale was to swim from Cuba to Florida and mm. to do so unassisted open water swim. Now unassisted doesn't mean there, there isn't a boat around or anything like that. It means nobody can touch her. Uh, nobody can, you know, um, drag her along. They can feed her. They can, like, squeeze food, you know, through a tube or whatever. But it's an unassisted uh, swim as far as the energy exertion um, to, to make it that far. Mm. Um, so the interesting part about this and the interesting part of this story, this true story, is that this was attempted by this woman at the age of 28 – and then several decades later, she was like, and, and failed, several decades later, she was like, you know what, I'm going to try that again now that I got my mind in a better, like my mind is so much stronger now hmm. as an older human being than it was when I was in my 20s. My body isn't as strong, but I think the mind is the part that's going to do it. Hmm. So um, very interesting story, very uh, inspirational. The movie itself isn't a 10 for me. I think the movie has some issues with um, the way that it centers its story on her background and her life. I think there's some important stuff there, but the way the movie integrates it is 
a little befuddling to me. I, I didn't quite understand it. It didn't have the impact that I felt like it should have. But the core of the story was interesting enough uh, for me to to really enjoy this and give it a recommend. So uh, it's called Nyad. And both Annette Benning and, and Jodie Foster are amazing in this. They're really good. So not um, to be surprised. I'm not surprised that they're really good. Uh, my wife was looking at this one the other day, thinking about watching it. And um, I just, you know, I don't, have, I don't want anything to do with that kind of activity. <laughs> what watching the movie no, or swimming s- swimming in the open ocean from one place of land to another place of land i don't even like swimming away from the beach and then back to oh the beach. interesting so there'd be a lot of anxiety in this movie for for someone who deals probably. with like putting themselves in the yeah yeah okay. probably i mean yeah. i went out on a on a fishing boat in the gulf of mexico to where we couldn't see the shore anymore and that scared the bejesus out of me uh, and I wasn't in the water, um, but yeah, there would be there would be some kids in the cave rescue levels of anxiety for me. I'm sure mm, for some mm-hmm. of this, but that I might that. heighten the experience. Um, might make yeah. it more fun. All right, my second small recommend. I need to stop talking about this shit on Twitter so that people know coming into the show that I'm going to recommend Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix. I'm now six episodes in. Um, there are only eight. I will be finishing this tonight, hell or high water. I only watched this. This is very similar to the reason I watched Franklin Rich's Artifice Girl, is that a key three or four people that I follow on Twitter all talked about this on the same day. And I thought, I'm going to check that out. Sounds like nothing I've ever seen. Uh, this is like nothing I've ever seen. Maybe I'm not watching <laughs> the right content. Um it is in a category of anime, but people are saying it's not technically anime. I'm not trying to get involved in those debates. Um, stylistically, tonally, um, combining emotion and emotional character arcs with some of the most visceral, violent shit I've ever seen. Uh, the music choices, the voice work, the animation is among some of the most gorgeous animation I have ever watched in any kind of tv show or movie you're slightly nodding have you watched any of this i watched the first episode yes okay um and you didn't hate it since you're slightly nodding right you want to know now oh sure you did you just liked it no i loved it okay, uh, i thought it was amazing um i'm very excited to see uh the the rest of the series i think you oversold the violence a little bit i don't really think it's all that violent mm. uh at least Keep in the watching. first episode <laughs> I guess maybe I've just seen a lot more stuff that's you know specifically uh, violent in the in the case of animation, but uh, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't shock me. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Well, yeah, I uh, it just keeps getting deeper and better uh, and more resonant. The fifth episode, um, which I watched last night, is one of the best episodes of any show I've seen in five ten years. Uh, the themes are really starting to tie together, um, and uh, I I just can't wait to see where it goes. They they apparently have a plan for four years, if enough of you watch this along with me, to make it something Netflix renews. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just blew me out of the water in every possible way. Um, go, go, get in the fastest computer you have and drive to Netflix.com and consume. I, uh, I I I loved it. I I think there the thing I love the most about it, and I imagine this will continue, is that it is adult animation, 
And I mean that in the sense of it is made for adults. And yep. so it is. it does not fear adult subject matter. It does not fear nudity. It does not fear violence, you know. But what I like about it is that it also isn't excessive or um, it, it's not superfluous. The, the things that use the nudity it has or the violence or the language or whatever all really feels authentic to what's going on as well as purposeful for the story. So there's mm -hmm. like there's really um, I think I think there's a, a really good sense of what to include for what this story needs. Now, I've only seen the first episode, so I'm speaking, you know, with one eighth of the knowledge of this show. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's there's a there's a lot still to happen. But that was my perception after the first episode was just great storytelling. Just it yep. totally knows and has the freedom to use what it needs to use to tell the story. Uh, the official description uh, is a master of the sword lives life in disguise while seeking revenge in Endo period Japan. All right, let's move on to the big recommend. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. This week's big recommend uh, is from Netflix, and it is Nimona, a movie that was originally uh, basically going to be killed until it was revived uh, and brought to Netflix. And thank God Netflix revived and brought this movie over. Mm -hmm. um, let's dive in. Uh, Nimona starts with a visual, visually interesting history of the kingdom, which has been attacked by a monster, an evil monster that lived outside the city and attacked with no warning. But a hero named Glorith arose and banished the monster back to whence it came and then began training a leap force of knights to protect the kingdom for all of time. All right, that's the setup. And then we, bam, jump forward a thousand years. So if you thought this was a medieval story, you're wrong. There's internet... There's flashy screens, there's flying cars. Uh, it's a really delightful mix of eras because there's also like castle type buildings and citadel type infrastructure. And it's just a, a nice little mishmash of eras uh, because we're not really in a real place with real time or anything like that. Uh, but we open with a knighting ceremony. And this year for the first time, they're going to knight someone who is not pure blood. He's just a commoner. But he has the heart, and he's worked all his life, and his name is Ballister. And he's going to get knighted alongside his friend, Golden Loin. One of the best names ever <laughs> in an animated movie. Golden Loin is a noble-born, a direct descendant of Glorith, who had saved the city a thousand years before. Before the ceremony, we get a nice little scene where we see that these two men, um, Golden Loin and Ballister, are in love. And uh, I, I appreciate that the movie doesn't give us a lot of, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Pay attention to this. It's just normal. It's just normal. 
Nowhere and anywhere in this movie does anyone act that it's weird that they love each other. And I just appreciate that. Okay. They go down for the knighting ceremony. Golden Loin goes first because he's the golden boy. And then Ballister gets knighted. And after he gets knighted, he's holding his sword with the handle facing the queen. And the sword opens and emits a green laser, which blasts the queen and causes the scoreboard thing to fall on the stage. Everyone thinks Ballister just assassinated the queen. And he escapes under the arena as everyone yells to get him. Then we meet Nimona, uh, who is doing some graffiti. Um, and she's a bit of a rebel street child looking for a criminal mentor. And she sees a news report about Ballister and realizes he is perfect. Uh, the movie will completely gloss over how she finds him when no one else can. I don't really care. But she shows up at his hiding spot where he is... Yeah, trying to plan how he can clear his name. Uh, in the in the fracas when the queen was killed, Golden Loin chopped off Ballister's right arm. So now he has a Luke Skywalker thing going on with his right arm. And she says, "Hey, I'm your new sidekick." And he's like, "No, you're not." And so he ditches her to go looking for Golden Loin to try and explain himself, and is promptly arrested and thrown in jail. He's visited. That evening by the night director, the director of the Institute, um, who basically says how disappointed she is in him and how she should never have trusted him or listened to the queen in saying that Ballister should have been knighted. Then Nimona shows up and rescues him because she's a shapeshifter and she turns into a rhino as well as several other animals to help him defeat the knights and get out of the Institute and back to the hideout and this is also recreating what she had doodled earlier the first time that we see her uh, with Ballast. When he comes to he realizes that Nanamona is a shapeshifter and is initially scared and calls her a monster which she is not really very happy to hear uh, and this is sort of the first hint this was my second time through this movie this is sort of the first hint I think the movie gives you for what it's got in store for you but you just don't process it as that at the time um, because it's, it's pretty sly and you're not really expecting necessarily, I want, where this goes. Uh, but he realizes he needs her help, so they make an official deal that he will make her his sidekick once, he gets, once she helps clear his name. They're trying to get to um, the steward, the, the, I forget what he's called, but the kid who works in the night room and handed everybody their swords because Ballister realizes that wasn't my sword that killed the queen. So the, the boy that handed me the sword, Squire, that's his name. I knew there was a name for him. Um, so they decide they need to talk to the Squire. That requires getting on the subway. In order to get on the subway, Nimona takes Ballister's form to distract all the knights, and it's a pretty humorous scene as she starts saying, I'm a terrible murderer, and all the stuff that, you know, the whole point here is to try and prove the opposite. Uh, but when the subway stops at the next station, all the knights are there. So, and they storm the subway, but... Ballister and Nimona had escaped through the roof. They get to the market. Again, the knights show up. They find the squire. And another hilarious moment where Nimona turns into this little street urchin boy slash demon that ultimately ends up terrifying the squire. Um, but they get the squire. They put him in a trunk, steal a car, uh, and then take off. And this is when the squire is able to show them video he has. And there is a brief moment early in the movie where he tries to show video 
to Ballister, but everybody thinks he's trying to take a selfie. And in the video, we see that it was the director, bum, 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 who swapped out Ballister's sword. Uh, and so now Ballister has proof that he was set up. Ballister, at this point, it's worth noting, still believes in the Institute, and Nimona is shocked by it. But they go to the Institute with their proof. He holds up the phone for all of maybe two seconds before it gets shot out of his hand and destroyed. Bye-bye proof. There's a huge fight in which Nimona is again hilarious, turning into an ostrich at one point and running alongside a curved wall of knights. Uh, she eventually becomes a dragon. Uh, and then sees a little kid that's terrified of her and shrinks down to little kid to say, no, no, it's okay. And the little kid calls her a monster. Uh, and then Ballister shows, shows up on some kind of air motorcycle, grabs Nimona, and they take off. Golden Loin, whose first name is Ambrosius, that's the first time it shows up in my notes here, but um, he goes to confront the director about the queen's death. And she admits it. And then she stabs him. But it's not actually him. It's Nimona, who does a super dramatic death. And then Ballister walks in saying, ha now I have proof again. And they upload video of the director's confession to a whole realm can see it, and they do. And there's a cute little scene where uh, Ballister and Nimona uh, celebrate by dancing. But then the director, ever clever, decides to explain it away by saying it wasn't her in the confession. It was Nimona a shape-shifting monster among them. She has pulled a scroll from the thousand-year-old archive that has a picture of a monster of fire with a little girl that looks like Nimona in it. And that is enough to basically get everybody off of her back. Golden Loin messages Ballister privately about nachos. Turns out they have a favorite spot to go get nachos. I personally, I don't recommend getting nachos at a dive bar, but you do you. And... There's this awesome moment here where Golden Loin is like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry about everything, about your arm. She manipulated you. She manipulated me. She manipulated all of us. And Ballister thinks, oh, he's on our side now. But it turns out uh, Golden Loin is actually talking about Nimona. Some of the best pronoun gaming in the history of film. It's so good. Oh, it's, oh, it's incredible it's incredible but because it's intentional yes, it's so good that's what it's supposed to be for yes and so he um he shows Ballister the scroll ultimately uh and says look this is she's this she's the monster that uh Glorith defeated like she's been here all along she's not one of us so Ballister goes to Nimona and before he can really before she can really say anything he interrogates her Basically calls her a monster, basically stops short and says, you know what you are. And she is crushed. This is the first person in maybe even a thousand years that has shown her any kind of acceptance. And um, she's just distraught. She runs out of the city. Um, and the, of course, the people in the city believe there's a monster out there and they never go out there. Um, she finds a well and that triggers a wonderful scene uh, that's mostly dialogue-free of flashing back to Nimona and her early years as she tries to fit in by becoming the animals and creatures she sees around her, a little bird, a little fish, a deer, and they all reject her. They all think she is not one of them. And then she sees a little girl, uh, and so she turns into a little girl. And lo and behold, 
um, they meet and become fast friends and they play and dance and laugh. And then there is one moment where they're frolicking and Nimona turns into a little bird and gets an apple and then comes back and turns down back into a little girl. And, and the blonde girl is a little nervous, but then kind of realizes this is kind of cool. This is kind of fun. So we see them playing and frolicking and wrestling when Nimona is in various forms and they end up doing this right by the village the little girl is from. The adults in the village see Nimona as a monster and literally start attacking and beating her. One guy has a flaming log that bounces, flips back into the village and starts a fire that burns the whole village down. As the adults run away, the little girl lingers and Nimona says, Glorith? And that's when we realize, well, I realized it was Glorith pretty quick, but that's when most people realize, I'm not trying to brag, but it was a fun experience with my wife because I said, you know, that's Glorith, right? And she was like, what? And then like a minute and a half later, she was like, you were right. But uh, this is where we find out this is Glorith. Glorith says to Nimona, go back to whence, from whence you came, which is the famous quote. And this is where we realize that the mythology of the monster and Glorith um, has been warped over time, um, maybe even from the beginning of the time that it was told. Uh, the movie has a lot to say about how history works. And what, even when it's written, uh, it's not always correct. This movie is asking so many big questions, and that's part of why I love it. Um, so now Glorith, Glorith, now Nomona realizes that this is, this is it. This is it. Um, I'm done. She turns into this giant black streaky grief monster and heads toward town. The people of the town, the knights, they try to defend themselves. They shoot missiles at her. She screams as though it's hurting her, but nothing's really slowing her down. And somewhere in this chaos, Ballister says, what have I done? As he realizes that he helped perpetuate the situation. Uh, and she nears the Glorith statue, which is multiple stories high, and has Glorith with a sword outstretched. And we hear a line of dialogue that Nimona had said earlier in the movie about, I don't know what's worse, that everyone here wants to run a sword through me, or that sometimes I just want to let them. And... I was I had to stop the movie the second time through because the first time through I did not recognize this as I should have. This is a suicide attempt. Like she's trying to take her she's trying to end her life. That is the point she's come to. And she's stopped. Something is stopping her from throwing herself on the sword and she looks down and it's Ballister and he says, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." And then he says the keywords of the whole movie. I see you, Nimona. And she shrinks down to her normal self and they embrace and I cry. Uh, both times I've watched this, this is where the tears happen for me. But the director, well, she's not done. She's not ready to give up. She, she's too power hungry. She's also governed completely by fear. So she points the cannons on the wall intended to shoot out at monsters into the city. And she's even warned. And this... This rung in my bell for several minutes because somebody says to her, that will destroy half the city. Innocent people will die. And she said, so will the monster. And I don't want to get into current global 
but man, that statement holds so much weight. Um, and she goes to fire the cannon, and Nimona says, basically, I got this. Turns into a form we have not seen, uh, a pink, ethereal, phoenix-looking thing, and zip-flies over to the cannon and makes impact just as the cannon fires, and everything is obliterated. There's a big hole in the wall. Everybody can now see it's just beautiful nature out there, no monsters. There are little pink falling particles that appear to symbolize uh, the bits of Nimona falling back to Earth and that she had been destroyed. And we get a little bit of the town picking itself back up. We get to see Ballister and Golden Loin walking around openly holding hands and very happy together. Um, and at some point, Bal goes back to his old hideout um, and starts kind of cleaning up and making it look nice. And he hears a knock at the door and he goes and there's no one there. Uh, and then we see a pink glow behind him and we hear, hey, boss which is her frequent phrase. And he turns around and says, holy shit. And then we go to credits. <laughs> and uh, it's a nice little uh, iron giant of an ending there. Uh, I have lots of speculative fun wondering what form she is in there at the end of the movie when he sees her and claims that. Um, but let's turn to Aaron and get his thoughts this time through. In a moment. Maybe we'll find out in the sequel, Jeremy. Um, uh, you believe it's they- a definite? Uh, I know. No, I I don't, um, but uh, but you never know uh, what Netflix might do with some of the stuff they have. Uh, yeah, this movie is wonderful. So many of the ways that you already mentioned. Um, one of the ways that um, that we haven't hit on a lot that I really love about this movie is how funny it is. Um, I think there's something so beautiful and hilarious about chloe grace moretz's performance is nimona um it's so good there are just all these moments um everything feels like this nimona character is both the the consciousness that has been around for a long enough to feel the weight of things as mm. well as also a child like both mm. things are true in this you know this entity um this consciousness and i think that's really tough to pull off the other thing that's really tough for this movie to pull off and you touched on it a little bit but the story work that this movie is doing is actually really impressive mm. and what i mean by that is this isn't one of those movies where everything is as it seems until oh a twist um this is one of those movies where it is leading you through a labyrinth of reveals and it's one of the one of the reasons that i highly recommend with certain movies even more than normal to go in as blind as possible is when a movie is so good at giving you the information it wants you to have when it wants you to have it. Mm. Um, and this movie is so good at that. When we find out she's a shapeshifter is the perfect time for us to find out that she's a shapeshifter. Yep. Um, when we find out um, the, about Glorith, it's the perfect time for us to find out uh, about her previous relationship with Glorith. When we you know, uh, find out about the different machinations of the proving disproving um you know stuff all of that stuff the the pronoun gaming that we already mentioned Mm -hmm. another perfect story reveal where in you know most movies it's it's the time where the person comes along and finally comes to the side of of righteousness and in this case with that's what we're being 
led to believe, but it's actually so much more painful than that. And I just think this movie subverts a lot of our expectations in really, really beautiful ways. Um, another example of that is they are in the subway. This is shortly after they met. And she goes into a backstory telling of, you know, wishing at a wishing well. Yeah. The subway is going by these tiled walls and the tiled walls turn into a different kind of animation. We've seen this thing in like Prince of Egypt, right? Yep. Where it's like, it's time for some of the backstory. So now we're doing the hieroglyphics on the walls are going to tell us the black backstory. Other animated films have done this exact same thing. And it turns that expectation of actual backstory into uh, an ending where Nimona's like, no, I'm just, I'm that. Did you really think that was, you know, something? So, like, it completely subverts it. Now, it also introduces a little bit of truth. There's just a little element of truth with the well, and the meeting was at a well, and yep. you know, so like, there's, there's these beautiful things that the the storytelling is doing that um, I have a lot of respect for, um, mm -hmm. and it, and it pays off. It all pays off so really, really well. Um, I have a lot of lines eventually that we can talk about that just make me smile, make me laugh. Um, but before mentioning those, I think it's worth mentioning Beck Bennett, uh, as kind of the, you know, the dumb guy, uh, the dumb knight, uh, who is just so funny in this and is always wondering when the whale's going to come back, um, <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, subtle little background things like there's a background announcement that that says something like if you see something slay something yes. which I thought was really really funny and clever yeah. and just subtle and kind of in the background another subtle thing in the background that is a little more meaningful a little less funny is you know this whole thing is happening where they're opening up the guard to anyone it can be anyone doesn't have to be you know somebody in the line from Glorith, those kind of things and then what happens happens and then shortly thereafter you're going by the billboard that's trumpet you know trumpeting this idea and they're literally whitewashing it they are yep. literally whitewashing the billboard of all this diversity and yep. it, i you know look there is a line between being meaningful and being preachy. And I'm not saying this movie doesn't walk up to that line, but I do not think it crosses it. I think this movie, this movie beautifully stays on the side of being meaningful, metaphorical, letting the audience, you know, uh, understand the symbolism, the themes that are going on here. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's all handled really, really well. Um, but yeah, I have other things I can talk about. But I've talked a while, so Jeremy, hit me with some other stuff. I mean, I think that one of my favorite things about this movie is that I think what they did was they found a story that just naturally spoke to so many different things. Like, this movie could easily have said, all right, we're going to take the othering, right, the gender identity stuff about Nimona, we're going to make the, that the central theme and symbolism of this movie. But they didn't stop there. They They gave us... They gave us government oppression. They gave us how history is altered via retellings. They gave us. So but I think it's all the same themes. I, I like. I, they're not disconnected. Yes. yes, I know. I agree. I agree. But uh, but they can go in so many different directions. Like there was a moment in this viewing where I was like, "Huh, this movie's about the TSA." Um, <laughs> 
And I think I could probably make an argument that that's part of what the movie is nitpicking, even though it wasn't necessarily a specific target. But just this idea that we are we are often sold things to be afraid of. Yes. In, in order to keep us in line. That is the theme. That is the overall theme. It's about heroes and villains and who creates the villains. Who gets to, who gets to say what a villain is? And the power that you give someone when they cre- can create a villain for you. Um, and the idea of what are heroes and villains? And is that even a valid dichotomy to use as we look at, you know, other beings? Like, that's, yeah. you know, so like, it, yeah, all that stuff is there. Yeah, I, mean, I, I got McCarthyism out of this time through um, because there's a bit where she says we're working with an enemy that could be anyone, your child, your best friend. Evil people have used that kind of rhetoric to target people for communism, people for being gay, people for now for people for being trans. Like this has been going on for all of time. Yes. Uh, which again, here's the new enemy. Yeah. The movie's point. Yeah. Um, I love the line, they grow up thinking they can be a hero if they can drive a sword into anything different. That's part of mm-hmm. Nimona's speech that I think ultimately turns Ballister uh, into an ally. It's the key paragraph. It's the key paragraph of the movie. Because yeah. in that paragraph also includes the sometimes I just want to let them. That's at the end of that paragraph. And it's just, it's it's all right there in that sentence. And it's just beautifully delivered. And it's really powerful. And she's right, especially with that society. But she's right about America, too. Um, the, you mentioned this earlier uh, with Chloe Grace and her performance. But just the absolute joy Nimona has at breaking things, doing mischief, uh, is hilariously endearing. It makes me laugh, but it makes me love her. Uh, and I think that is done largely in the voice work um and again i didn't know until this viewing that was even her um i didn't the only voice i knew the first time through was riz ahmed um i love the bit when they throw a baluster in jail and the card goes murderer and then turns around and goes want to get some lunch and the other guy goes yeah i love lunch um there's so much background stuff like you mentioned with the see something slay something that i think probably i would need four or five viewings to catch all of it um but yeah uh i think that's all my notes there are a few lines i'll mention um the one of the first moments we meet uh nimona she's talking to him about his arm and she says did they let you keep the old one in the (laughs) in the animation on her face is so perfect and hilarious and good and i just that was the moment i fell in love with that character Mm. was that did they let you keep the old one Uh, i thought that was really really good um who has four thumbs and is great at distractions Just amazing. Uh, the uh, then let's go kill, get him. Let's go get him. Uh, was I thought really funny. Um, and then the other one I had to mention was uh, they. I forget. I forget what the Beck Bennett character calls the rhinoceros, like a horse with a horn or so. I, oh, I forget. A fat what, unicorn. A fat unicorn. Right. He calls it a fat unicorn. <laughs> and he said, "You mean rhinoceros?" And he goes. If I meant rhinoceros, I would have said rhinoceros. <laughs> and just the way the way he delivers it is so perfect. 
Who is the voice actor there? Beck Bennett. He's on SNL. That's that's the only reason I I, I know oh, his name. Oh, okay. Um, and he's good on SNL. He's he's really funny. Um, but yeah, he's perfect <laughs> for that character. Yeah, and I love the repeated something something something. We win. Yes, um, that's good it too. Works well all three different times it's used. Uh, the cell shading animation in this, we haven't talked a lot about it. Uh, I think it's it's really beautiful and reminded me a lot of like playing Wind Waker back in the day. Um, I think cell shading can be a, a really great way to visualize uh, animation, and I think it's done really well here. It's kind of a CG cell shaded, you know, combo yeah. uh, thing that they're doing that that I think works really well. Um, and then I just also had to mention the shot, the shot at the end where he's standing on the edge of Glorith's sword, putting mm. his hand on it and it goes, it cuts to a wide view and you just get the sense of all that emotion in that shot. You know, he's just this tiny thing on the end of this sword. And there's this underlying message of, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take this big thing. You can just be one person that says, I see you, one person that mm -hmm. says, I love you, one person that says, I accept you, and you don't know the power that you can have. Um, and I think that wide shot communicates all of that really, really well. So I yeah. wanted to mention that too. It's good stuff. Um, all right. Well, the super secret double feature traditionally comes after the big recommend. And Aaron, mm -hmm. did you do your homework and prep a super secret double feature? Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Um, I really went back and forth on this, not because I inter, uh, entertained a lot of choices. I didn't. I only ever entertained one choice. I just went back and forth on the fact that it is way too much the most obvious, obvious, obvious choice. So obvious, in fact, you already mentioned it. Uh, it has to be the Iron Giant. Nimona ah. um, is the Iron Giant. Like the the like the the these stories are saying very similar things in yes. a very similar way and have almost identical outcomes. Mm -hmm. It is so much, in fact, I wouldn't blame you for calling it a copy of The Iron Giant, except <laughs> you're wrong, but I wouldn't blame you. Uh, it is it is so similar that I just could not shake away uh, from that being the super secret double feature. Um, it's just too perfect. Yeah, Iron Giant is an all-time top. 10 top 15 for mm -hmm. me um and yeah i i really get that sense uh at the end when she sacrifices herself to save everyone um and even after that you know like an iron giant they have a statue of the giant and then mm -hmm. at the end of nomona there's people making makeshift you know memorials even mm -hmm. even the bully night guy it's like i love nimona now um, <laughs> so yeah excellent double feature pick i cannot uh dispute what uh, are we watching next week here let's revisit eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um every I'm... time we try and get into a happy place we end up <laughs> going back to the sad place i think this i don't know i don't see this as like a i don't know this isn't a dark movie is it i, I it depends some... on it depends on how your love life is gone aaron um okay fair enough <laughs> 
Uh, I'll try to find a happy one at some point. (laughs) I don't know. There's something about the the authenticity of the reality of our shared trauma that is really powerful. Um, Yep. So so that's probably why a lot of that stuff comes to the forefront for me. (laughs) But but it also feeds into my love of Jim Carrey and his work as an actor, uh, Kate Winslet as well. So it has been too long since I've watched it and a lot of times. Uh, that can be a motivating factor too. I really want to check this out again and go deep. So, so well, listeners, viewers, that is on Peacock uh, as of the date of this recording, um, and it's also on a service I don't think I've ever heard of. Uh, lowercase I Q, uppercase I Y, uppercase <laughs> I. That does not sound like a real thing, Jeremy. I kiwi, I kiwi. Um, but yeah, Peacock is the place to go to get it for free, uh, available to rent at all the other normal uh, outlets and whatnot. Um, let's do a couple questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Been a while. We got a couple more minutes. And then we'll get the rock out of here. Yeah. Um, questions, questions. My document is long. Here we go. Uh, who played against type the best? Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with Tom Hanks in Road, uh, Road to Perdition um, because he's often uh, I hear about Hanks that he never plays, you know, uh, against type. And it's just not true. He's played against type a, cu- a couple times. But this is, I think, the most prominent and the, the most uh, powerful one. So um, Road to Perdition, Tom Hanks is is my answer. And the other the other answer I would throw out there is uh, one that you wouldn't think of because he played so well against type that it became his second type. And that is Leslie Nielsen in Airplane. Uh, He was a dramatic actor before Airplane and did parody so well that that became his second career. He did parody Um, so so well by just doing dramatic acting. Yes, exactly. By not doing comedy acting. The chat is stealing the shit out of my answer, which is Robin Williams. Um, I'm fascinated by his career where he went 30 plus years as this manic comedic presence and then at one point said you know what i'm gonna do dramas i'm gonna do a bunch of dramas i'm gonna start with goodwill hunting i'm gonna do one hour photo where i'm creepy bad guy i'm gonna do final cut where i'm still kind of a creepy guy who's not bad looking at people's memories and it just opened up this whole new world i guess awakenings i would throw into there too um where he had this whole other side uh, an, an ability to touch you in ways that weren't just to make you laugh. Um, so I think that's probably my all-time favorite example of that. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, Coppola, McTiernan, De Palma, and Kevin Costner are all working on long just dating passion projects. Which, if any, do you think will be good and why? I mean, that's a that's a list. How am I, how am I supposed to say <laughs> any of them won't be good? Um, I'm not necessarily is extremely excited for uh, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, next thing, but the others, I would be pumped to see what they've got going on. Coppola sounds like the most ambitious movie ever made. Like, like I believe, like when I first read about it, he was like, "It's going to be about the human condition," <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, and but my called- my answer my answer would be De Palma. I just out of sheer curiosity. I, I would be excited see, to Coppola, see Coppola, McTiernan, and De Palma are all really, really old. Mm-hmm. That's not working in their favor. But And that's the thing with these long, just dating passion projects is that 
they are often, you know, hit or complete miss. There's very little in the middle. I'm worried about Costner. That's my answer because Costner directing a Western is almost always a hit for me. Um, he understands that genre really well. Uh, and he's had this idea for decades. My only concern is he's making a two-part movie. I'm that's so going done to with release it. like four months apart from each other. And I'm just tired of that to, crap. Can I can I I'm I'm gonna take us down just a little bit of a rabbit trail to this rabbit trail, which okay. is as somebody who votes in in Ward's body, mm-hmm. I'm seriously considering the idea. Oh, that no. I would find it objectionable for myself to vote for a half of a movie for any awards. Mm. I cannot see myself nominating the latest uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse movie for Best Animated Film because it's not a movie. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't say it's a great movie because the themes that it's dealing with, it leaves completely open. I don't know what this movie is going to say about the things it's introducing. I don't know what this movie is going to do with the, the characters and the situation there. And how am I supposed to give it an award? It's not a movie. It's a half movie. You can't ask me to watch half a movie and then nominate it for awards. Like, it's, it's, it's really frustrating. Here's a conversation I've had about 5,000 times since that movie. Why... Are there thousands upon tens of thousands of spider people trying to make sure Miles's dad dies because we all have to have the trauma in order to be the spider? Now, I say that, and somebody says, oh, I'm sure in the next movie they'll take that back. And I'm like, fuck you. They didn't take it back <laughs> in this movie. There is a narrative arc. There is a way to tell a story. Empire Strikes Back does this extremely well. That has a beginning, a middle, and an end where there is resolution, but still threads left hanging. Infinity War. Infinity War does this. Infinity War is a complete movie. Like it's you can do it. Uh, It's yeah. It's just so annoying. Yeah, I agree. That was a good rabbit hole, Aaron. I appreciate it. That's going to be where we end it today. Uh, apologies in advance. There are no outtakes because Jeremy was late to the show. Uh, but uh, again, thanks to the chat for coming out and correcting us when we need it and chiming in uh, and helping keep us on our toes. And uh, next week, your homework is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You're on Peacock. <laughs> for Aaron Dicer, this is Jeremy Scott, and I will see you next time. See you guys. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com Mind Mona. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.